This is the Oceans Church Podcast, where we believe in connecting people to Jesus, the one who changes it all. To learn more about Oceans, view upcoming events, or find info about ways to give, please visit oceanschurch.org. Thanks for visiting the podcast. Enjoy today's message. Uh, Pastor Michael and Pastor Jamie, how can you not love them, right? Um, just uh, been reflecting of uh, we're coming to a close of a year and uh, starting with New Year that I was in January of 2020 that I met them. And uh, since I've been in their life, we've, we've gone through lots of things, lots of changes, lots of transitions. And Michael, Pastor Michael has seen the best of me, the worst of me, and has loved me <laughs> in spite of it. <laughs> yes, we are, we, are, we are true brothers in Christ. And so thank you again for honoring me, to invite me to come be part of this King series. And so good to be back at Ocean's Church, seeing so many familiar faces, hugging so many necks, and uh, seeing so many new faces. Like this place is growing, walls are being knocked down, things are changing. It's so awesome to see the new life and uh, just the staff unity and everything. Good things are happening at Oceans and good things are ahead for here. So, so good to see you. Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing? Yeah, you know, we're allowed to say that now. Merry Christmas. We're at that point of the year. So uh, in this, this series of, of looking at Jesus as King and this, this, seri- this season that the church is in is called Advent. It's this expectation time in our hearts. And we all kind of feel that naturally and, and even spiritually of like this, as we come around Christmas, there's this expectation that comes with Advent of Christmas coming. And there was an expectation in the first Christmas of the Messiah to come as they longed for his coming when they had prophecies of the Messiah coming, just as we today have expectant hearts for Jesus to come a second time and to man come and rule and reign and make this place beautiful and come in his full power and authority. So there's an expectation in our hearts and you sense that around Christmas, right? Like kids, like, I mean, I remember as a kid, like this, the month of December was like the longest month in the world. Like I like remember all year long and then December would come and it's like, oh my gosh, how many days and that long countdown and the expectation of the gifts to come. And then you become an adult and then you're the one in charge of the gifts. And you're like, oh my gosh, how much longer do we have? And it's a bit more anxiety with it and like worry. And oh my gosh, I didn't get that person. And well, we're just going to figure it out. But no, like, and it changes. And there's something, uh, as Pastor Michael shared last week, is he kicked off this King series of that Christmas is his favorite time of year. It's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. You've got boats with decorations tonight here in Destin, you know? Like there's all the things that make Christmas wonderful. But I would imagine that there's some in this room and some of you possibly closer to where I'm at right now is that as wonderful and as magical and beautiful Christmas is, there's something about the lights and the glitter and the joy and all of that that kind of just puts a spotlight on your heart and you kind of feel those things that are not right. And those regrets, those disappointments, sadness, grief, kind of are highlighted in a time of when everyone else is being joyful and everybody else is celebrating. And sometimes you can have an imposter syndrome. You feel as though, am I bringing sadness to Jesus's joy party? And it's a really, really hard place to be. And if that's you, I just want to let you know that you're not alone. You're not alone in a time that you want, that you feel like either time is marching on and you're in a good spot. And like, can we just pause it? Because everything is good. 
or maybe you're not at a good time and you want to rewind it and go back to a time when things were good. Can we, can we go back? Can we fix it? Can we go back to how it once was? Or maybe you're in such difficult, challenging time that you want a fast forward button. You want to fast forward past the holidays into the next year and get past this difficult circumstance and situation. Even you're, you're expectant, but you're not even knowing what you're expecting of. You're just like, please, there's got to be a change. So I don't know where you are in any of those, and, but I'm with you, if you are. Uh, many of you know our story of what's transpired in our life, and we've just wrapped up the hardest year of my entire life, because just Thanksgiving of last year, Thanksgiving of 2022, Wife, three kids, we went up to the Smoky Mountains Thanksgiving week. We were ziplining in the mountains. We were on the forefront of what the next ministry phase was going to look like for us. And then my wife, beautiful wife, Nancy, who helped here with kids a lot, and many of you guys know and love, she had a a headache, just just came out of nowhere and was not going away and came home and had Thanksgiving and she was not feeling well and just kind of laid around on Thanksgiving and then the next morning, the day after Thanksgiving, she said, hey, my, my left side is numb, and I, this is really weird. I think I need to go to the ER. And so I brought her to the emergency room on that Friday, and she walked into there. And we thought we'd be there for a few hours, and instead we've come to discover that day that she had a silent killer quickly growing inside of her brain it's called glioblastoma, a very aggressive cancerous brain tumor and things seemed to like such a blur the next day she was using a walker to walk by Sunday by, mo- by Monday I pushed her outside in a wheelchair because she couldn't even walk on her own and she knew that something was coming and she knew that this was a challenging time and she even told me on that Monday she said Damien if this is the end let it be the end and I, full of faith, was like, no, I, no, this isn't, no, we've been through stuff. We've been through stuff. We're, we're going to make it through this. And the next 12 days was the longest days of my life as this cancer just continued to rapidly grow. And transfers to different hospital, to Emory Hospital in Atlanta to see the top surgeon in the Southeast. Hope building, trust building. We're in the pre-op. They're about to do some preliminary surgery. And the nurse says, hey, you have the president's surgeon. I said, the president's surgeon? She goes, yeah, he did surgery on Bo Biden. That's the closest you get to the president's surgeon. So extreme hope of what was going to happen. And then to him to come in and say, I cannot do anything. Can't do chemo, can't do radiation, can't do removal. Only option is a miracle. And so here in this room on December 7th, many of you gathered along with other churches and other communities and prayed and begged God to do the impossible. And faith was high. People were like faith-filled. I was faith-filled believing that a miracle was going to happen. A miracle was possible. Only to wake up the next day and feel as though all of those prayers were thrown into an empty void and no one was even listening on the other side. Nancy passed from this life 
into eternity. And so Friday, we just passed the one-year mark of this new life that I'm living as a grieving husband, single dad of three kids, trying to figure out life and going, where do we go from here? And right now, there's no storybook ending. There's no like, there's no Romans 8, God's turning all things together for my good. I don't see where that's at. There's no... I had to sing that song this morning. You're going to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. That song ticked me off for a few months. Today, I could sing it in faith, proclaiming what will come. Because it's a not yet. It's a hope. Then fortunately, I wake up most days hopeful. Not every day, but hopeful. Because that's all we can have in these times like this. Because if not, grief will take us and beat us up spit us out (laughs) and it's okay to let grief do that and loss do that but still grasping and holding on to the hope of Jesus and you might not know me you might not know Nancy but I tell my story and I bet your mind kind of jumps to your own story of places and times where you had to say goodbye to a loved one your dreams died. Your spouse said, I can't do this anymore and walked out the door. Whatever it is, there's something that sometimes happens in our life that we didn't see coming. We didn't expect to come. And just as I'm sharing my story this morning, I want you to know that your story matters and your story is important, even as it's being written. And more importantly, God knows your story and God is close to your story and God cares about your story. There's something about life as like we're younger and like we have all these hopes and dreams and we kind of like have this pen and we think we're making this plan and we're writing our story and our our career and our love story and our family planning story and we feel like we're planning all this out and this is going to lead to my happily ever after and then somewhere along the story of life, somebody grabs the pen and writes a different story that you were not expecting and you were not planning. And then yet you are left to bring resolve to the conflict, to the crisis, to the challenge. And life does not go as we expect. It's really, really hard. In those first few months, it was hard to read the Bible, hard to listen to worship music. The only promise of Jesus that really rang in my ear was his least famous promise. In this world, you will have trouble. And I don't see anybody make a t-shirt of that. <laughs> I, come on. Like, and, and so we want to fast forward to the good part. We want to we get ahead and we have a hard time sitting there. And the fact is that suffering and trouble and unanswered questions come. And unanswered prayers come. And that's a sermon for another day. But today we want to talk about our suffering king. As we've talked, kicked off this king series, this shows that we have a king that suffers. And that is so important. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Michael, as he prayed through the series, he says, we're going to talk about a suffering king. Because a lot of times we don't think about suffering king. We love to talk about victorious king Jesus. Suffering king, suffering servant, that's a hard one. 
But I think that exposes something within us that we are, as a people, more acquainted with the God of the mountaintop than we are the God of the valley. That we kind of, we, we like the, the victorious God. We like the testimonies. We like the happy endings, right? I mean, that, that's, we're really good. Churches, let's be honest, we're really good. We build momentum and excitement around mountaintop experiences. Churches being planted, babies being dedicated, people being baptized, marriages being restored, missions being planted around the world. Yes, absolutely. That is all good stuff. That is not bad. We want to be the best storytellers. That's good. But do we have a faith and a maturity that can hold both mountaintop and valley lows? Because if we're only acquainted with Jesus on victorious Easter morning, risen from the grave, but not acquainted with Jesus grieving in the Garden of Gethsemane, I don't know if we have the faith that he's called us to have. He's called us to hold both of those. And there's moments when we, if we don't have that spiritual maturity that the cliche answers just kind of, they don't fall right. They kind of mock us. There was times when my own sermon mocked me. I'd go back and listen to what I preached. And I was like, oh, <laughs> do I even believe that? And so we struggle in the waiting. We struggle in the unanswered time. And you've seen it. You have family members, you have friends that have been maybe entered into faith in a mountaintop experience and they've seen that. But then when the trouble comes in their life, their faith seems flimsy and can't stand. This is why we need to know our suffering Jesus. When life does not go as expected and as we think it will go. So, and as I said, this time of year with Christmas, we can be a little bit more sensitive. Have you guys noticed that you're a little bit more sensitive to the feelings? Like I cry, did anybody see that Chevy commercial with the grandma that has dementia? Holy cow, like cry every time I watch that thing on Facebook. <laughs> Had to like pause it, like I can't watch that right now. It's like, we're, we're super, like the, the Christmas movies, all the stuff, Hallmark, all of it, it, it draws something out of us in this time and it's like, it's, we're, I think there's a longing for what we, how we know things are supposed to be and there's a separation from what we are living now. And that's actually a holy thing. That's actually a God thing. And that's what Advent, it's this like, yes, I'm here, but there's a longing for something different, a longing for all things to be made right, for all things to be made new. And so when I'm in a time of only feeling and strong feelings. I can't trust my feelings because my feelings betray me. The heart is deceitful above all else. I need to go about not what I feel, but what I know. And that's why we go back to the written word of God and what the word of God says. So after my longest intro ever, we're going to turn to the word of God and we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation this morning. So got a little bit more time left. All right. So we still open the book of the Bible in Genesis chapter one and we see this beautiful creation story and it's so different from all the other creation narratives of other Near East religions and Babylonians and Greek mythology where those are like birthed out of like these two gods fighting and this turmoil and out of that comes the creation. No, the God of the Bible, Genesis creation talks of a God making this world a beautiful place. It's 
order out of, out of chaos. It's beauty. It's majesty. It's this amazing thing. It's bliss. It's not, and and he, everywhere he turns, he says, it's good. It's good. And he makes man and he says, it is very good. It's a place, the Garden of Eden that he creates where heaven and earth kind of overlap each other. We read about Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. It's a place without pain, a place without suffering, a place without death, without grief, without hurt. I mean, it's this amazing place and that's on the first page of the Bible. But then we turn the page and quickly everything changed. What happened is our parents, Adam and Eve, they were given a choice. Do I believe what God says or do they, they got deceived instead by the deceiver and they believed the serpent that lied to them and put thoughts that God could not be trusted. And we get mad at Adam and Eve, but the fact is we are faced with that same choice every single day is are we going to believe what God says or are we going to listen to the deceiver? And that's what they did. And they ate the forbidden fruit Fruit, and from that, the consequences have been catastrophic. Sin has affected and affected every single part of the world that you and I are born in. Because even God, when he, when he talks about the curse that's for the man, for the woman, for the serpent to crawl on his belly, and he says, the ground is cursed because of you. So even the dirt we walk on is under the curse of sin. Is wonder, we can have wonderful moments in this fallen world, but it's under a curse. It's not the world that God created for us. It's the result of sin. So we need to always remember the suffering and the pain and all of that was not God's intent. It was not from him. It was actually a result of sin. And we actually see this. That's in Genesis, the beginning of the book. We get to Genesis uh, chapter six. And by this time, the the world has become sinful. This is, he's asking Noah to build an ark. It says this in chapter six, verse five, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth, that every inclination and thoughts of their human hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God looks at mankind and the consequences of the sin and the manipulation and the selfish intentions and the, you know, the, and he regretted that he made the, the earth. And that Hebrew word of like, he was deeply troubled is like, God, what he sees and he chose to look at inflicted pain on God's heart. So you have a God that we're introduced to in the Bible, a God that grieves. And we don't think that often, do we? That we don't really see God as a grieving parent and sees the result of sin and the effects of it in our life, and he's grieving over it. About a month after Nancy had passed, January, kids were going back to school. Great life was just a blur, and I was hold, I just hold, trying to hold the kids up and, and everything, and I just walked outside my house one night, and I had to like go talk with God, and I was talking to God, and like as I was walking, and I was getting like, I was finally had a moment that I was being honest with God, and I was angry at God, and why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? And I can't, and I just let you know that you're allowed to yell at God, right? You know that you're allowed to. He already knows how you feel, so let it out in the Psalms. And I was angry at God, and I was yelling at God, and like trying not to look crazy to my neighbors as I'm shaking my fist walking down the sidewalk, and that was me. And then it just starts raining, and raining on me. And I got more ticked and more angry. And this is what you do. I came out here to talk to you and you just rain on me. And I was so mad. 
come back in the house, slam the door. A day or two later, I talked to a friend and told him that. And they're like, maybe God wasn't raining on you. Maybe God was grieving with you. Maybe God was crying with you. We don't always imagine a God that grieves with us, but he does. He sees our suffering. He sees it. He's near to it. Get to this book of Exodus. We're in the second book. We've got a long way to go. But Moses is at the burning bush, and he's calling him to set the Israelites free that are held in captive. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out to me because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. God is concerned about the suffering. God is concerned and God sees these people that are captive as slaves and they're working in the hot desert sun and building someone else's empire. And he says, I'm going to send a deliverer. He sends Moses. He builds up the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, we see all throughout the Old Testament, he's giving his law, he's sending his prophets, and it's all pointing towards someone is coming, a deliverer is coming, a savior is coming, Jesus is coming. All the prophets start prophesying that this, in Isaiah we read about that a baby will be born to a virgin, that he's coming and he's going to come and set the people free. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what these people were longing for. These prophecies that we read were 700 years, many of them, before Jesus came. And there's this longing, when is the Messiah coming? And he comes. And he doesn't come all powerful and mighty and striking down the enemy. He comes humbly and he comes to suffer. Emmanuel, God, chose to be in human form to bring a end to our suffering. I love how the English novelist Dorothy Sayers says it this way. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrow and death. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. An all-powerful God chose to allow himself to feel the pain, the suffering. So here's God outside of time looking at, he can see time from the beginning to the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. And he looks down at time and he says, I'm going to enter here at this time. And he's going to come. How does he come? He comes and he writes himself into the story as Jesus coming because Jesus is like, can I get down there? Can I go and be with the people so I can redeem them? And he's like, how about here? How about to a time when Israel is under Roman rule and you be born to a peasant family of a scandalous pregnancy at a time of child genocide to people that don't even have a house that are traveling and be born in an inn or not in an inn, in a stable. That's where he enters in, suffering from the beginning. And he's from day one, he's a refugee. He has to run for, they have to run for the life to save the baby and go to Egypt. Suffering from the day one, he, he, stepped, he grows up in a peasant family, poor family, and, and working with his hands. People still giving a side eye to Mary, thinking she got pregnant outside of marriage. And then how does he start his ministry? He doesn't start his ministry with some big hoopla and put a big tent up and, and get everybody rallied up. No, he starts his ministry by going into the desert and fasting for 40 days. 
And there, while he's fasting for 40 days, he faces the deceiver, the tempter, the same one that we read about in chapter 3 of Genesis. But this time, Jesus does not fall like our first parents did for the deceiver. He does not fall for the temptation. He has this showdown with them. And we, re- we see these temptations, and it seems so odd and seems so different like, of what we're tempted with. Like We're tempted to, to gossip about someone. We're tempted to just fudge a little bit on our taxes. I'm tempted to look at somebody lustfully. These things, Jesus, like he's tempted, hey, turn this bread, this stone into bread. Hey, throw yourself off this building and, and angels will catch you. Hey, bow down to me and all creation will be yours. What is he doing? What is, how is he, te- that doesn't seem like, a, I'm not tempted, but that's weird things to be tempted by. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to go around suffering. The temptation is not to suffer. The temptation is, hey, the, the curse says work the ground. So you can, he's like, hey, no, don't work the ground. Just turn these rocks into bread. Don't have to till the ground and grow the food and all this. No, just, just turn the rocks into bread. He says, throw yourself off the building and make a spectacle and everybody will be drawn to you and you'll bring instant fame, not humble servants. Hey, Bow down before me and get your creation back without the cross. Trying to get him to miss the suffering. Yet Jesus oversees that, over, does not come to this because Jesus knows that we need a suffering savior. We need one that, we don't need a king that comes in all might and powerful. We need one that goes to the cross. He resists the shortcuts and he brings about the good news that we have See, Jesus, two of the most scandalous things about Jesus. First thing is that he claimed to be the son of God. That's why, that's why they crucified him. He told everybody, him and the father are one, that he was in fact the son of God. The second most scandalous thing about Jesus is that the Lord, the God, the creator of the universe would suffer and die. That we become accustomed to that And this time, that did not make sense. That does not make sense for the king, creator of the world, to die at the hands of people, right? A God, like when we think of a God, God that bleeds, a God that weeps, a God who grieves, a God who dies, that doesn't sound like a God, but that's who he is. A God, yes, a God on the throne, but a God on a cross. Until you hit a point of suffering, and grief and great pain, you see it. Because I don't know if I would trust a God that hasn't suffered. If I would trust him with my suffering, with my pain, unless he had the courage to take his own medicine. Is a God that hasn't suffered reliable? Can we trust him? But our God is a co-sufferer. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He's made himself weak. He's made himself as a man. But we have one who has triumphed over every way that we are, yet is without, was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He was acquainted with suffering. The word became flesh and lived among us. 
So he gets us. He gets us and he walks with us. And Jesus chose to go to that cross and suffer and die in my place and yours place. And when he put that, that cross upon his back, carrying that board across his back, he was not just carrying the weight of that. He was carrying the weight of the suffering of this world upon himself. It says it was put upon him. And he willingly and chose to go to the cross to put our sin for sin to lose its power, to forgive us of our sins, but he also did it to put our suffering and pain at an end. That suffering and pain do not have the last word because of Jesus. Because three days he was died on that, that, that died on that cross and it looked like the enemy had won because that's not how someone wins a battle. You don't win a battle by fighting, but he won the battle by freely giving up his life. But death and sin and the grave had no power over him and he rose victoriously over that grave. So you and I are set free from power of sin and suffering does not have the last word in our lives. Amen. There's hope. And that's what we have to grasp onto. That everything, that what we are experiencing, the pain that I'm experiencing is temporary. It's not forever. So we have to remind ourselves, God did not cause suffering. God weeps over suffering. God grieves over suffering. And God has entered into suffering as a co-sufferer to deal with it once and for all and to give us a hope and a promise that it does not have the last word. This is where we come to Revelations 21. We've made it to the end of the book. Good job. We've made it to the whole story. Look right here. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he dwells with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God has done it all. He's done everything as a tenacious father who wants his creation back. He has done everything. He stepped from heaven down to this earth and gave himself. So those of us that are suffering, we receive this free gift of grace that suffering does not have the final word. And in this life, you will have trouble. But remember how the verse ends. Behold, I have overcome. He will wipe every tear that we have shed, every pain that you've endured, every heartbreak, every loneliness, every abandonment, every tragedy, and he will redeem it. He will redeem. I don't know how. I don't know when, but I have to hold on to the promise that he is not done yet and he will redeem it because he defeated death and the grave. And that Charlie Brown is what Christmas is all about. <laughs> is that Jesus came willingly to come and suffer in my place and yours place. And he is our suffering king. So if you've been in a season, in a time, in a year, this world and its trouble has broke you down, has made you feel isolated, has made you feel like you bring a gloom cloud of grief and sadness to those joyful around you. I 
wanna tell you, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to see yourself as a downer. You're not an imposter around Jesus. In fact, he came to that manger, not for people celebrating, but for those that were hurting. And he's not far off. He sees your suffering. He sees it. And he will redeem it. Even if you're like me in a not yet time, I don't know yet what it's going to be. I don't see how, but I know and I have to stand not on what I feel, but what the word of God says. Isaiah 9 speaks to those that are anticipating Jesus coming. And I think it speaks so much to us that are in a hard time. It says, those who walk in the darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in spaces of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Light is dawn. Light is coming into your deepest, darkest place of your life. And Jesus is saying, can you invite me in to that? So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here on the mountaintop and you're like, thanks for the downer sermon. This wasn't for you. Sorry. You can listen to it online another day. (laughs) But if you're in a deep, dark valley, Whatever season you're in, Jesus is not far. And he's offering his hope and he's offering his light. And he's saying, you don't have to suffer alone because our suffering king chose to come and be with us. We pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our suffering king, Lord. That you are a co-sufferer, that you don't stand at a distance of our suffering, Lord. No, you chose to enter into it. God, there's things about loneliness and grief and suffering, Lord, that makes us feel alone and feel unseen. Lord, I pray that people in this room would feel seen by others, Lord, but most importantly by you, God, that you see their suffering. And Lord, you would give them the faith and the trust to open up their hands and share their suffering with you, Lord because you're a God that chose to come down from heaven and be with us, Lord. And you're not scared of our suffering. You don't run from it, Lord. And we hold on to the truth that you do want to redeem it. You do want to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, Lord. That you're taking our pain and you have a purpose with it, Lord. And you're refining us, Lord. And that suffering and pain and death and sin does not have the final word in our life, Lord. Even if we do not feel that, Lord, I ask that faith would rise up inside of us, Lord, that we can just even start to whisper it. It does not have the final word. It does not have the final word. That, Lord, you have good things planned for us. We thank you for it. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook or Instagram for updates, service info, and ways to get involved here at Ocean's Church. Be sure to give this episode a rating as it allows us to connect more people to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon.